welcome to the Trapital Podcast. I'm Dan Runcie. Our guest today is the founder of Move Forward Music, which is a live event production company based in New York. And we're going to talk today about a bunch of things, including his new partnership with Twitch, live streaming, touring, and all that. I'd like to welcome Al D, Alex Domashek. Welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So for those listening, this is actually the second time that Al and I are recording this because the original podcast got put into the lost tapes of 2020. So for those that have been listening to the pod for a minute, you know about the lost tapes because so much has just changed in 2020 at such a fast rate that by the time you're trying to record something and put it out a couple of weeks later, it can sound a bit out of date. And that's what happened with Al, D, and I, we recorded the original pod, I want to say like the second or third week in May. I plan to run it early June, but then everything happened with George Floyd right at that particular moment. And it just wouldn't have been timely and all of that. And we're like, no, let's just touch base when it makes sense. So I'm glad you could do this again. Thank you. And it worked out because at that time, I believe we were talking mostly just about the state of the music industry and touring and it's pretty dark, you know, not that it's gotten much lighter since then for the music industry, but it was really dark and things were looking pretty bleak, especially we were at the height of COVID and everything, not knowing where this was going to go or how it could end. And, you know, now we've got some at least more positive developments and some hopeful news to talk about with the Twitch channel that we're launching and some in the live streaming space that we're entering. So I'm glad we got to reschedule too. Well, before we go into some of the pivots you've made recently, Let's have a quick breakdown. What is Move Forward Music and what was the plan that you had for 2020 before the world changed? Wow. So Move Forward Music is independent concert promotions and production company. We sort of have built a reputation over a decade for breaking hip hop and R&B artists in their first shows in New York City. We've done the first show of everyone from Kendrick Lamar, to Juice World to Ski Master Slump God, to The Baby to No Name, and the list goes on and on. So, you know, we've been doing shows on an independent level, on a scrappy level, doing venues anywhere from 250 clubs up to 2,000-person theaters, and really just have been building along the way of that vibe of catching artists on the way up and really being there as an early platform and outlet for artists, progressive artists in particular, artists that are sort of breaking the mold or a little bit left of center or outside of the mainstream to showcase their work and to perform early. You know, we're there a lot of times when other bigger promoters may not be. So going into this year, top of 2020, we were riding pretty high. We were getting ready to go out to South by Southwest and produce a big No Ceiling showcase no Ceilings is a live showcase that we had been producing for Complex and our good friends at Pigeons and Planes for the last about five years. Not to be confused with a Lil Wayne mixtape. It's inspired by, of course. You know, that series has been going on for a while and had broken a lot of artists. And we were, we've done it at South by Southwest for the last five years, but had been building from like an unofficial show to a smaller room to finally last the uh, 2019, we did a, a thousand person venue. And this year we were going to do a two stage show. We had 19 artists confirmed. It was, you know, it was that all looking good. We were, had been working on it for months and Obviously, South by got canceled and everything else got canceled. We were also in talks to uh, invest in a new venue out in L.A. with some partners. So we had a lot of really exciting things that were on the table that it all just kind of went by the wayside in a week. Like where we were from March 1st to March 8th was like night and day. And it was sort of like being dropped off a cliff, you know, and, and I know that... Um, 
a lot of promoters and a lot of venues and also just a lot of, you know, even just in the music industry, security guards, barbacks, bartenders, all the roadies and the sound guys, like all the different occupations and people that are supported by the live touring industry. Like we all just got dropped off a cliff in the middle of nowhere. And it was a hard thing to cope with. It was a really, really dark time. And, and I think it is still a dark time for a lot of people. But, you know, just the sudden impact of it and coming completely out of nowhere like it did, it was a wake-up call or it was a shock to the system, I guess, is a better way to put it for sure. How did you manage to deal with everything emotionally? I know you mentioned that everything just changed at a dime, but... How did you feel? Because I mean, not only your own well-being and sanity with it, but also the future of your business and all these big plans that you had. I'm not even going to lie to you. I was pretty depressed for a few months there. You know, it was a feeling of not only all the exciting projects that we had that got like sort of ripped off the table, but just even thinking like, I mean, the first two weeks, it was like, okay, let's just see what happens and wait it out. But then as we got into April and into May and things weren't getting better and it was actually getting worse, started to feel like, man, even if we can wait this out, are there even going to be any venues to book shows at when we come back from all this? Because I don't own a venue. We're outside, you know, independent promoter. We work with pretty much every venue in New York City. But I've been in and worked in, you know, every room in New York and, you know, and a lot of different rooms just in general. I know what their profit margins are like in these spaces. So, you know, I was just thinking like, man, I have friends who are venue owners in, in these positions and like, I'm used to like, you know, haggling with venue owner, like the price of a case of bottled water. You know what I mean? Like anytime a, a manager or a venue owner is in a position where, they, where they're trying to hit you up for 10 bucks for a case of fucking Poland Spring, you know, the profit margins are pretty slim as it is. You know, I empathize with those guys. They had a lot, a lot of pressure and they're still under a lot of pressure to keep up with all those expenses and insurance and everything. You know, I know venues, they might be spending 50 to 80 grand a year just in insurance and those insurance companies want to be paid. So from my own perspective, just immediate, complete cessation of all income, that was a rock to the system, you know, in itself. But at least we're in a position where we can hold back and weather the storm and we don't have the expenses and overhead that a venue does. But at the same time, you know, I'm looking at all of my partners really in the independent venue business and thinking like, wow, I hope when, you know, when we come on the other side of this, they're still here so that there's a space for us to work because without them, we don't really have the rooms to do our work in. And I'm sure it must be a shock to the system as well. You mentioned being used to negotiating over Poland Spring or I'm sure even bigger things than that. But now there's this aspect of like empathy where you know you're going through it, you know they're going through it. And I know that things haven't necessarily gone back to normal yet, but I can imagine that just changes the whole dynamic about how you may go about promotions. Totally. And I would say one thing that was positive was like in the concert game, it's, it's very cutthroat. Everyone's competing with each other for the same shows. And, you know, there's always there's a lot of mutual respect, but it's not always amicable, you know, in terms of the way people do business and go after each other. And I saw that, you know, a lot of the independent venues and promoters, people really came together and tried to unify and support each other. And that was a really positive thing to see. It's something that I've been advocating for years because I think that even outside of COVID, every independent promoter is, you know, under much larger threat from, you know, the big corporate players that control so much of the market. It's something that I've been wanting to see for years. And it was cool to see, like, right at the beginning of the year, a few venues banded together 
One of them being uh, Le Passant Rouge in New York and Empire Control Room and Garage out in Austin and actually First Avenue in Minneapolis, the legendary venue where Prince came up. They kind of came together and they formed the National Independent Venue Association. And actually, like right before we even started working on this live streaming thing, that was the first thing that I sort of sank myself into is just trying to support that effort because they actually have done really amazing things. They engaged one of the big Washington lobbying firms. And they've been pushing Washington for support and they have uh, Save Our Stages Act and they've ended up getting, you know, support from Chuck Schumer and a lot of the members of the Senate and Congress. And they've done a, a massive outreach campaign to get all the venues to get all of their fans to write their congresspeople and senators and stuff. And, you know, they haven't got anything passed, but there's been some good press and some good momentum and pulling for those guys and pulling for all the indie rooms and the small rooms and operators around the country for sure. So you mentioned how things were tough at one point, you know, in the spring, beginning of summer. When did things start to turn in terms of the partnership opportunities and where you're going with the business now with Twitch? Truth be told, we were able to secure a PPP loan on the second round and then a very small EIDL loan. Once it settled in on me that like some of the deals and things that I thought I had at the top of 2020 weren't just on pause, they were probably gone or going to have to be renegotiated all over again if they ever came back because we're talking, you know, six months to a year when we still don't even know when those type of things are going to be back on the table. And, you know, even since then, like some of the people involved with those deals have left their companies or moved to different positions or whatever. So like the whole world is different. So once that sort of set in on me, I started to think like, what can I do with these you know, I've got some time, obviously, even though, you know, I have a three-year-old son, so I pretty much jump right into stay-at-home dad mode because my wife was still working from home. So I was like, you know, full-time daddy daycare trying to figure out, you know, when my son was taking a nap, like, damn, how am I going to make some moves and, you know, like turn this nothing into something, you know? Once I've kind of made that flip in my mind, I started to think like, all right, I was watching a lot of live streams at this point, you know, it had been D-Nice had already sort of set the DJ live stream world on fire. There was, you know, the verses was still sort of in its infancy, but it was picking up a lot of steam. I was just trying to pay attention and see what people were doing. I was never into the idea of like a drive-in show or anything like that. So I wasn't thinking about how to push the envelope on how to do a physical show because I also think safety is obviously really important. Like you can't have fun at a show if you don't feel safe. So I was never really focused on that. So we were just watching a lot of live streams and trying to think about like what the strategy was going to be and how we could do it. And people started migrating over to Twitch. And I watched my friend DJ Tara. She does a party called the Makosa Cookout. And it's been a day party that's been running in Brooklyn for a at least five plus years, amazing day party. They do it every summer and they just did their first time virtually doing it and did it on Twitch. And I was really impressed. So I just reached out to a friend of mine who had recently started working there. And I was just, you know, hey, I'm thinking about setting up a Twitch page. I have a plan to put a little bit of resources, investment into it and try to build something that we can use as a live streaming platform once we start doing shows again. Sort of told them my idea about how, you know, we didn't want to do something that was just, hey, we can't do shows. So here's some Instagram live shows. Here's some artists in their bedroom or what it just kind of I felt like a lot of what we had been seeing turning the live stream space. People just were like throwing shit at the wall, putting everything up for free and not really putting a lot of thought into it or a lot of curation into it. A lot of it was confusion and people weren't prepared. And I didn't really want to do that. We didn't have the resources to just do things willy-nilly, you know? Like, if we were going to do a, a live stream, it was going to 
take a lot of effort and energy and a big chunk of the resources that we had. So I wanted to make sure whatever we were doing was something that was going to be effective and sound and look great and be a good reflection of our brands and like of the experiences that we're known for bringing to people. And also something that, that could benefit us and complement our real shows once we get back to packing people back into physical rooms, whenever that may be. So that conversation started. I had it with, you know, I was talking to a few different partners, actually, giving them the same kind of pitch and just trying to figure out what the best option was, you know, because it was such an uncharted territory. I mean, even you see the verses, which had like the full backing of Instagram, had tons of sound problems and different things. And, you know. Yeah, I remember in Teddy Riley versus Babyface. <laughs> we were just trying to figure it out and we're having a bunch of conversations and just staying on that mode of like, Whatever we do now has to be something that we're going to take with us out of this year. Otherwise, it's just going to get lost in the sauce of this terrible year. So the conversation with Twitch was the most positive. They had just sort of entered into the music space. I think at the same time, for the same reasons, you know, once quarantine hit, DJ sets weren't really working on Instagram Live. Like if you're not D-Nice or Quest Love, you don't have the phone number of somebody on Instagram. You could set your stream up in advance so you don't have the time limits and the licensing restrictions. DJs were finding it really hard. Was there anyone at this time that you felt was doing it really well? Because I'm with you. I remember that things were rough, especially in the spring, early summer. Was there anyone that you were like, okay, there's something there. They're doing this well. There was a couple of things. Yeah. Erica Badu was amazing. I can't remember the platform that she used, but she did a set from her house early on. She was like taking requests from the audience about what room to perform in and what songs they wanted to hear. And she had charged fans like a dollar or something like that, right? Or asked for a dollar donation. That actually was really inspiring to me because that's what I'm looking to do. We'll talk more about it, but that became the model for me in a sense of like, not necessarily the moving from room to room or even being in your house, but like, how can you provide a performance, a musical performance experience that is engaging and exciting and you feel the emotional connection to the artist, but not necessarily trying to mimic or replicate the experience of being in a live concert. You know, I've seen other live streams where not at this time, I hadn't really seen it, but since then I've seen live streams that were like big lights, big stage, you know, everything feels like a concert, but to me personally, like lights and stadium sound, it doesn't hit the same way when you don't have people next to you. The crowd is such an integral part of a concert experience. And, you know, that feeling of the stranger next to you losing their mind in the same way that you are over a song that's playing and singing along together. You know, that kind of camaraderie is such a part of the experience of watching a live show. I think that some live stream productions that have really leaned into, like, the full concert production, the artist may look and sound great, but it emphasizes that there's something missing. So what I loved about that Erica set was that she looked and sounded great. It was engaging. There was surprises. You know, there were bells and whistles, but it was in a setting that felt unique to the moment at hand. You know, like, you don't necessarily need to pretend that you're in a concert to be able to watch a really dope and engaging and um, emotionally connecting live show, you know? That one was great. And uh, even like little things like um, Marlon Kraft is an independent artist. who's He's performing on our launch festival on the Twitch channel. And he started just doing uh, Zoom calls with his fans. He would do a Zoom call and he would put it out on social media and he would be like, first hundred people to hit back, you get an invite to the Zoom call. And it would just 
literally be like the super organic, the first hundred people that hit him back. He would send out the Zoom invite and then he would post the Zoom on his Facebook Live. You know, I thought that was just a really creative way for artists to remain a part of their fans' lives in a way that they maybe weren't able to in a traditional sense. So things like that, you know, I was more attracted to those kind of things than the big concert productions that can't ever really live up to the real thing. You know, it's just, you're never going to do that. I started telling all this stuff to Twitch and they were like, wow, we love where your head's at. You know, at this point, the Rolling Loud deal wasn't public yet, but they were like, you know, we have a couple other hip hop promoters that we're talking to, but we don't have somebody that's specifically focused on the emerging space. And, you know, they're like, so, you know, our story of how we've done the first shows for a lot of these people and been there early on for a lot of acts, you know, that went on to become huge stars. So, you know, the conversation developed really well. They were super on board with, you know, what we were trying to do. And like I said, they were watching how DJs and artists were migrating over to their platform from Instagram because of just more conducive to better sound quality. And there's a lot more that you can do with music in general. So they're investing in the music space. So it aligned perfectly when we were able to link up. And, you know, we ended up signing a partnership with them to do our exclusive content, all our live streaming content exclusively on Twitch. And uh, we're going to be launching on October 17th with a two-day, 16-hour digital festival slash conference. So I guess before we get to the details of the festival itself, which I do want to dive into, but I do think if you'd be willing to share, it'd be interesting just to hear what things look like from the business side with Twitch and partnering with them. Were there any other live streaming platforms that you would consider? Were there certain things that you had wanted to do that either could or weren't possible on Twitch? Yeah. I mean, like I said, we had a conversation with almost everybody. But Twitch was really moving aggressively into the music space. And it was pretty clear that they wanted to lock up partnerships with people who could bring them curated content, curated music content. That's harder for a big brand like that to go out and get on their own. So I think that's why they, you know, they snatched up, you know, Rolling Loud. They snatched up a couple. Uh, there's a, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a big uh, rap battle league that's from Canada, I believe, that they signed a partnership with because, you know, Twitch starts a gaming platform. So those type of things that are gamified, like rap battles and beat battles are really um, popular on the platform. So yeah, I mean, you know, from the business side, they were willing to back us and give us some resources to work with and like, really position us on the platform as their emerging music channel, specifically for hip hop. So they, they made a, a bunch of really savvy partnerships in very specific niche spaces. Like they did the rap battle thing. They have Rolling Loud. They did a deal with Logic, the rapper Logic. That's like specifically. Yeah, it's like a seven figure deal. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, if you think about like what they've done in the gaming space with these kind of deals, I mean, those are, those are eight figure deals. You know, I mean, those are like, these guys that get paid like top gamers. They get paid like NBA athletes. So, right. you know, if the music streaming space can be a fraction of the size of what they've done in the gaming space, you know, obviously the, uh, the potential is, is enormous. Like the Logic deal was one of the first ones that I had said that was public after we started talking with them. And that was when I realized like, oh shit, they're really moving. They're moving aggressively into this space. And this is actually going to be a really great opportunity for us because, you know, I mean, the company is, is owned by Amazon. They have money and they're willing to spend it. And the market positioning to really make it happen. And they have, you know, even like the Prime membership, I believe you get a free subscription to one Twitch channel. Obviously, Amazon has this whole own economy that exists in that company. So... That obviously adds an element uh, as, you know, there's a lot of different layers to a company like that being behind it, but they're pretty hands off. But, you know, just being uh, 
under that umbrella and knowing that they have a vested interest in seeing this succeed, that was definitely part of the incentive to jump on, you know, and be on the ground floor of something that I think can be really exciting. The other thing that I liked about Twitch a lot is that the community element of it is really dope in a way that other streaming platforms haven't figured out. And I think it can be a great thing for artists to utilize for themselves too, because just the way that the chat works, the way that they have different pages, different channels can support each other. They do like the channel raids where you take all the viewers from your channel and you go and raid another, you know, another channel to like, you know, help them, you know, build viewership and, you know, the subscription model, all that stuff is really conducive to building a community and monetizing it in a way where it's like a real give and take where there's value that the viewers get out of it. And obviously there's an economic element to it that it remains to be seen, but hopefully can support the booking and the tech and the all production of everything that goes into it. So like, what does that look like if you say more about the community aspects? I think a lot of people that have entered live streams, they see all these usernames just scrolling fast, 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 fast and saying what they have. What would that look like for the festival? Twitch has a similar chat that like you'll see on YouTube or on Instagram live, but I can't exactly pinpoint why, but it's just a little bit easier to read through and communicate with other people. Like you can add people in the chat. Like you can say you can reply directly to somebody in the chat, which I don't believe you can do on Instagram live. And also there's the option to subscribe. So our streams and most channels on Twitch, the streams will be free to watch. But then you can subscribe, and when you subscribe, I believe it's $5.99 a month. You can subscribe for one month. You can set the amount of months that you want to subscribe in advance, so it's not necessarily like a auto-renew, which a lot of people are hesitant to commit to. So you can watch the stream for free, then you have the option to subscribe, and when you subscribe, you get things like a subscriber-only chat, which is like obviously a much more streamlined and um, easier to moderate and read through chat. We have a suite of like custom emotes. They're basically emojis, but they're like custom ones. So, you know, they're like specific like celebrity faces, facial expressions and things. It's like if you could make emojis with like a real cultural reference or relevance, you know, that's sort of what we put together and what a lot of channels try to do. When you subscribe to a channel, you get access to their emotes and you can use, they sort of become part of your text arsenal, your text box. And then when you go on another channel, you can use those emotes. So like people that are really into the Twitch world that are native users that are subscribed to multiple channels or whatever, it's sort of like a badge of honor to have a variety of different emotes that you can use in your chat. So you mentioned it was $5.99 a month. What cut of that do you keep versus Twitch? The standard partner deal is, I think it's a 50-50 split. I'm not sure 100% what our final split is, but I know the standard partner deal is 50-50. And would you say your goal more long-term is to have more free subscribers, like coming in that are getting more exposed to move forward and some of the productions that you'll have? Or is it more so trying to convert those that are the free subscribers to become paid for the subscriber-only content? It's both. The subscription model is sort of based on the idea of like a donation, right? There's also these things called bits that are like more one-time donations. But, you know, it started with gamers. So you'd be subscribing to like one person's gaming feed or whatever. You're subscribing for the emotes or whatever, but that's not like what you're paying $5.99 for. You're doing because you want to support that person. You like the content. It's almost like a Patreon incentive structure. So we want as many viewers as possible. You know, the streams are going to be free. Come watch them. We're here and we're open for all. They're going to be ad supported. That's if you subscribe, you get ad free viewing. 
but we want as many people to watch them. Everyone's welcome. The shows are all ages. Come one, come all. But obviously, we need people to support, and you know, we're gonna do our best to make those subscriber incentives valuable and something that people want. You know, we're gonna do things where, like, you know, the subscriber-only chat will allow you to ask questions directly to the on-air talent and sort of engage in the programs on a deeper level. We put a lot of thought and effort into these emotes, and we have we're gonna have rotating ones and new ones and fresh ones, and eventually, I'd like there to be a model where there's a subscriber-only content tier. So, you know, when we launch following, I guess we'll get a little more into the programming, but when we launch, most of our content's going to be free. We're going to be doing shows every week. I mean, we have amazing talent lined up. A lot of it's emerging, artists that are breaking, new artists, and, you know, we want to eventually be able to do a variety and have some more established artists on the channel as well. So, I see a subscriber model that we can build where there's a lot of free content on the platform, um, but eventually live performances might be something that you have to subscribe to see, or there's a certain tier of live performances that you have to subscribe to see. You know, somebody that might headline a thousand capacity venue is not going to come on our channel and perform for free or perform for the budgets that we have, you know, for stuff that we can broadcast for free. I'd like to be able to take those moments and, you know, be able to have a business model where we can support bigger and more established acts or acts that have huge records that are blowing up. I mean, you know, I mean, you know how it is, how quickly uh, an artist can go from quote unquote emerging to superstar status. Right. Especially today. Yeah. There's somebody like Megan Thee Stallion, you know, 2019, and she was a buzz artist at South by Southwest on the Fader Fort. End of 2019, she was, you know, basically getting ready to be on the cover of Rolling Stone, you know? And now she's time 100 most influential people. Exactly. So she's a perfect example of how quickly this game can move. Or DaBaby, another example, 2019, we booked him right after South by Southwest 2019 to play SOBs. Was that the South by Southwest that he was walking around in a diaper? No, 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 no. That was that was like way before he blew up, honestly. Oh, yeah, you're right. I mean, That may have been like 2017. Maybe a few years earlier. 2016. It was a, that was a while ago. That was when he was the baby Jesus, I think. Is, is, is. <laughs> yeah. We booked him in March for a show. And might have even been February, something like that. We booked him February, March for a show in April. And by the time we got to the show... They were upgrading everything on the tour to 2,000 capacity rooms. You know, we had them in SOB. We had, we, had, we ended up keeping it at SOBs because with scheduling in New York City and everything, it's kind of hard to do a last-minute bump up like that. That's how quickly that shit blew up. And then the next show, I think he played PlayStation Theater, which is a 2,500 capacity room. And that was only like a few months later. So things move very quickly. And that's the thing that I'm most excited about with this channel. I don't know if you want to get into the programming or like some a little bit more about what we're building on the channel, but we, you know. Yeah, definitely. I think it would be great first to hear what's on the slate for the program specifically for the festival. All right. So October 17th and 18th, we're launching with a two-day festival. It's a good snapshot of everything that we're going to be doing on the channel. So it's live performances, DJ sets, some panel discussions. And the pilot episode of a show we're going to be doing called The Boardroom, which is an in-studio program where two producers sit down and sort of chop it up about each other's work. I saw you got Just Blaze for that. Yeah. So actually, the first episode is going to be Just Blaze and The Alchemist during the festival. That's our pilot episode for that show. And then we've got some really great pairings lined up for that. But the performances, we've got the Kaylee 47, Umi, Guapdad 4000, Kyle Dion, Timar. Kari Foe, Kenny Mason, Marlon Kraft, who I mentioned before, Liv, 
And then just an amazing DJ lineup. Oh, BK the Ruler, who's a great emerging artist out of Atlanta. She signed a Warner. And also we're going to be premiering our weekly show with Kiana Parks. Kiana is an amazing DJ and painter and visual artist. So she's going to be doing a weekly show every Sunday afternoon with us. So that's our festival. And then following that, we're going to be broadcasting 24 hours a month. So basically like six hours a week and a similar variety of like podcasts and talk show content, live performances, DJ sets, and the show, The Boardroom. So, you know, I'm going to be doing a bi-weekly podcast. It's called The Check-In. It's something that I actually started doing on Instagram Live like right when the quarantine started and everybody was checking in with each other and just wanted to see how you holding up in the quarantine or whatever and so we've expanded that concept it's going to be me interviewing and talking to other music industry people talking about how we're dealing with this crazy time and you know what the future of our industry from the various perspectives of managers and agents and publicists and everything what it looks like and what 2021 is going to look like and then also talking to artists and kind of having similar conversations and also giving them opportunity to play us some new music and premiere some new records and promote new stuff that's coming out. We have a show with Christina Jerome, who has a podcast called Behind the Bay. She runs a, a platform called r and Bay. It's like an emerging R&B showcase and, and interview series. So she's going to be interviewing R&B artists weekly, and then we're going to be doing weekly performances. We've got amazing artists lined up already, like Levin Cali, the rapper Mavi, uh, 99 Neighbors, St. Panther, and Alex Molly are some of the acts that we have coming up. And then we're doing uh, some curated DJ sets with people like Rich Medina, Scratch Bastard, and so on and so forth. So we have a really great variety of content. Oh, and of course, the boardroom which is going to be weekly. Just Blaze and Alchemist is our pilot episode. We've also got episodes lined up with Jake One and Black Milk, Drummer Boy and Sunny Digital, and a lot of other amazing producer pairings that I can't say just yet, but I'm really, really excited about the way that show is coming out. And I think especially for aspiring producers and people who are interested in the creative process of how some of their favorite songs come together, I'm really just excited to see how that program comes out and comes together. We're going to be doing live performances just like we do in clubs and you know small venues around New York City, but we're going to be contextualizing it with talk show programs where we get to dive deeper with the artists and kind of break down the creative process with DJ sets that have really specific themes and that are curated in such a way that you're going to get a dose of something that's going to be an experience. We're going to have guests on that uh, that speak to the industry and the moment that we're in and um, and really just build out a more in-depth experience around the scene and the type of artists that we fuck with. And also an ecosystem that's going to have some paid opportunities for artists to perform and showcase their work, especially independent and emerging acts that, you know, in this time, if you don't have big support, it's really hard. There's not a lot of outlets out there to turn to. And um, I really hope that we can be that for artists, not only as a promotional you know, outlet, but as a place to perform and as a place for fans to come together and really engage with the artists and engage with each other. And there's a lot that we can't do on a live stream that we're going to miss from doing concerts, but there is a lot that we can do that you can't necessarily do in a club. And I can see the opportunity for Twitch as well, because with the two of you, you get an opportunity, as you mentioned, to do things that you may not have been able to do before. You obviously have to make some switches. But looking at how they're kind of running the game, they just were able to sign this huge deal with Logic. They want to be able to find who that next Logic is. And given your track record, you are someone that can find them who those artists are. They want those people on the platform organically. You know, they want artists to do a show on Twitch and then they watch the broadcast and they're like, oh shit, this looks better than 
what I was doing on, on whatever XYZ other platform. And, um, you know, hopefully that grows the community. And I mean, ultimately, since we've signed up with them and we're, we're on board, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. So I hope that the Twitch music effort is incredibly successful and we're, you know, we're part of something special. You know, we want artists on there too. And I honestly do believe that it's a great platform for artists to lean into what is available to them now. It's a good platform. Like I said, like there's things that were missing, but you got to lean into what you have, you know, like stop trying to recreate a concert or do a drive-in. Like the concert experience is as old as fucking dirt. Like, you know, people have been gathering together to watch people play live music in various settings for like a thousand years. We're not going to reinvent that in a better way, but there's things that artists can do to give their fans a window into their creative process into their day-to-day just into their experience you know one thing that in the live space that i've seen over the past years increasingly is that the connection to artists is a huge part of what drives fans to spend money and come to the show yeah they want to see the live show they want to see that live experience that's obviously like i said that's never going to change feeling the bass in your toes that's evergreen you know that's never going to go away but one thing we've seen a huge increase of in recent years is like the VIP ticket, the VIP package and experience. You know, fans will shell out four or five times the ticket price just to go in the green room or show up an hour before even doors open to snap a photo with the artist. That kind of stuff, obviously still in person, is there's no matching that, but that type of access, I think, can be relayed through a live stream or through someone's phone. I think artists would do well to try to think of creative ways that they could embrace that you know like like i was saying like marlon did with his zoom calls i could imagine if you're one of those hundred fans and you're a real fan being on a zoom call is like that's huge you know like a bigger artist could you know in the same way you charge for a vip you know that's potentially something that you could charge for and not even feel like you're cheating anybody like you know you're kind of seeing this with cameo now right where artists are charging fans to either sing them happy birthday or just engage in some type of way. OnlyFans is like another model that people are using, you know, and those subscriptions are like expensive, you know, and and shit, get after it, you know. If you could do a $30 OnlyFans subscription and you're doing like a real intimate chat, I've never been on that platform, so I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how it works, but like if you could do like a real intimate chat with your favorite artist or whatever, which I'm assuming is what it is, I've seen people spend $100 just to take an Instagram photo downstairs in the basement of SOBs. So, like, you know, people definitely right. will pay that. You know, YG just dropped the album today. If he did a Zoom call with 100 of his fans, I guarantee you those would sell out in an instant. How do you think this all impacts the future of live music and entertainment itself? New York is such an epicenter. And even though things have changed in the past year, I'm sure still part of you realizes how much is just pivoted since then so like let's fast forward a year plus from now when live music starts to get a little bit more back to normal what do you think the scene looks like first of all i don't know if we're ever going back to what we consider normal but when we can start doing shows again for the industry to get any type of normalcy it's going to take more than a year easily i don't think people are really appreciated because it's not like once you get a vaccine the touring industry just starts again you know like Tours, it's a very carefully interconnected thing, right? Artists are touring across the country. So all the states have to be on the same page. You know, you you can't be going from place to place and then also traveling and staying in hotels and, you know, worried about getting COVID and or someone on your crew getting it. Like, there's just a lot. So 
first thing is like the whole country has to be uniformly on the same page and past it. But then it takes months to plan a tour. So once we get to that point where a large enough percentage of the country is either vaccinated or we're on the other side, infections are down to the point where people feel safe, it's going to be three to four months. You know, major cities will start doing shows right away. New York will benefit from that. There'll be shows happening right away, New York, L.A. But it'll be months before the touring industry is back up and running where people are able to really route full-on tours like that. And then once that happens, you're going to have basically two to three years of acts that want to tour trying to fit into maybe half of a year of venue avails because probably at least 50% of venues are going to close. It's bleak for venues and we can't lose sight of the fact that they're struggling right now and they need all the help they can get. But I do think that if that many venues close, the real estate in general is going to be a different world, I think, in post-COVID. So I think, you know, eventually new rooms will open up to replace. I don't think like once venues close, we're necessarily going to be like, when it first started, I was like, damn, like Live Nation is just going to buy up everything. And like, this is going to be over for everybody. A lot of people still think that's going to happen. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe it could. It definitely could go that way. I have a little more faith than I did in April, May and sort of uh, the indie live music scene living on in some capacity, even if nothing else, just the energy I've seen from the National Venue Association I was telling you about before. Like there's a real scrappiness to running an independent music venue just to even in the best of times to keep a venue open is a never say die kind of attitude. So I feel like we'll be back. But a lot of venues are going to close. And, you know, for venues to reopen, that's obviously uncertain. And it's going to take years before we replace the venues that do close. You know, obviously, you never want to lose any place of public assembly in today's day and age. But when we do come back, you're going to have half as many venues trying to fit in shows for three to four times as many artists. So it's going to be the wild West, like you've never seen before. There's going to be shows, multiple shows a night, artists playing in untraditional spaces. And and this is just on the music side, too. The same thing's going to happen with comedians and other people that use venues. It's really going to be something else. The one thing I will say, another thing that sort of made me feel positive is I think that the demand is still definitely there. If we put a show on sale tomorrow it would sell out almost like it doesn't even matter who it was. Like I said, that people want that feeling of connection with their friends. They want to be in the same room. You know, when this first started, I was thinking, man, after a year, like, cause I was always thinking it was going to be a year. I never thought I was never one. I had venue partners and, you know, when shut down in March, they were like, Oh, let's wait till now to cancel the show in April. Let's see what happens. And I was like, you're crazy. This is not, <laughs> not doing any fucking shows in April. But you know, I was thinking like, man, after a year of everybody being, home in their house and watching Netflix and, you know, just being in their phones and everything. Like, are people even going to really want to come back out? You know, the trends of staying home and, you know, and doing Netflix and you know, whatever, like that's already something as a, as a live, all live industry from movies to Broadway to concerts was already something that we're dealing with just to increase competition that's exists in people's own homes. So I was really worried, like, man, after just like forcing this new kind of habitual stay-at-home behavior, are people even going to want to come out after that? That's one thing that I think we've seen from this is that the need for human connection is so strong that 
even though people are making those habitual changes, they're still dying to go out. And I think once yeah. things open up, we're going to, you know, the demand's going to be there and the supply is going to be there. So it's going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And I think you got things in a good perspective and just how you're kind of going about this. Al D, this has been a pleasure. I'm glad you could come on. You got the Move Forward Music Festival with Twitch coming up October 17th and 18th. So for the people that want to go and check it out, where can they go? All right, so it's going to be streaming at twitch.tv slash moveforwardmusic. You can also just stream it. That's where you will sign up, and I encourage you to go sign up for Twitch, get an account, holler at us in the chat. You know, We'll meet you there. It's really fun, but you can also just stream it on our website, moveforwardmusic.com. The festival starts at uh, 6 p.m. on October 17th. It's all day October 18th from 1 p.m. to 11 p.m., And then we're going to be airing 9 p.m. nightly, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, bringing you the content that I talked about. And hopefully we see you there. Exciting stuff, man. And hopefully uh, Twitch gets you a cut if they break the next logic that comes from your platform. That's what I want to see personally. Damn, we need you on there. We need to get you on the Move Forward Twitch, man. I I need that capital action. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell at least one friend about this podcast. Word of mouth is still the best way to grow. Go to Apple Podcasts, go to iTunes, leave a review, rate the podcast. I will screenshot and share the podcast ratings on Twitter and Instagram. That can encourage more people to share the podcast. And if this podcast is your first introduction to Trapital, then make sure you check out the rest of the content. Go to Trapital.co. That's T-R-A-P-I-T-A-L dot C-O. Sign up for the weekly newsletter. Get all the content there. And also, shoot me a text. That's also a great way to stay in touch with Trapital content. You can text me, Dan Runcie, at 415-234-3074. Thanks again. See you next week.